is going on guys? Adam Comero here, as usual, with another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. This will be a first round recap, kind of second round preview game of the NCAA tournament. The game previews, it's just I do as best as I can to kind of watch games and say what I see, but you never know what's going to happen. And there's a lot of randomness that goes on, and I, I love, I mean, the thing I love to do is kind of recap or a review, proje- project from games that have already occurred, analyze games that have already occurred, and more so analyze games in terms of the player and team focus, because I'm never going to pretend to be a coach. I'm never going to pretend... I am wonderful at being able to dissect every single set that's going on and know exactly what every player is supposed to do. But uh, the teams and the players is and how I see them, how what I project for them, and just evaluate them, that's what I do. And obviously the games go hand in hand with that. Basically, but a team like UCF, I'm not going to be able to go as in-depth as like someone who maybe covers UCF. So take everything with a grain of salt. I am not basing it on a large sample size. If I obviously, if Duke plays an ACC team that we've already seen, I'll be able to say more. But what I do is I analyze, I project, but predict and strategize for against for a team that I haven't really seen much, I would say that's not quite what's going on here. Today I'm recording this on the round of 32, second round game day morning. And it should be a very interesting game, lots to talk about there. But I do want to say a few words about the North North Dakota State game because... That was that was really interesting because I think we take it for granted. We saw it. We saw the freshmen and how well they did in the ACC tournament. We think, oh, NCAA tournament, they're just going to be able to handle it the same way. The ACC tournament, close to home, first two opponents they played twice already. They played North Carolina twice. They played Syracuse twice. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of familiar familiarity there. Then uh, FSU, they had played once already, so that wasn't even an unknown experience. And then again, Charlotte, close to home. I was saying, if it takes the freshmen a half to kind of get their rhythm, get their legs under them, kind of get those nerves under control, how would that not be understandable? At least to me. So uh, it was nice to see them get everything together, but the question is, what what were the issues in the first half? And what was figured out because when you have such a difference such a vast difference when comparing something had to have changed and it has to be more than just the fact that I keep saying over and over again that with Zion back Duke is a second half team now they are a team that puts their opponents away kind of steps on their throat but what more it can't just be a cliche like that, even though I do not believe that is a cliche. That is the that is the impact he provides, and that has been shown throughout the season. 
A lot of people say, oh, Duke plays down to certain teams. They are just, they start out slow many times. I don't even know if slow is the right word. They kind of get their legs under them. There's adjustments for each game. There were, there's been so many times this season when these guys, four freshmen, are seeing everything for the first time, whether it's a Syracuse zone defense, whether it's a matchup zone, whether it's uh, playing a team, let's say, uh, St. John's, that plays them more physical than others. I mean, just all kinds of things. I mean, Gonzaga just zoned the crap out of, I mean, not zoned, uh, the, the screen the hell out of them. And, I mean, that's still... I don't think they're ever going to see that because Gonzaga is just like, I mean, that's a masterpiece on offense. If you uh, rewatch that game until they crap themselves at the end. But um, yeah, that's uh, that, that was more of a mental thing than anything else. So I uh, let's uh, let's take some uh, factors from North Dakota State. North Dakota State had all the makings of an upset, in my opinion. Like, all of it. And, uh, I mean, you had Sam Griesel. You had Ty- I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing any of these names. Uh, Tyson Ward, somehow both scoring on Zion without fear early on. It Cam driving in for a baseline dunk. I still have no idea how he got blocked by a guy named Rocky Cruiser, who uh, either, he, I mean, he sounds like... A, a WWE wrestler or something, but that's a very, very cool name. <laughs> um, so uh, he's going, I mean, Cam was going up with his right hand while Cruiser was on the other side. The angle didn't even make sense. You had uh, Vinny Shahid, who uh, basically just told me to shut up in a way but when I said uh, that North Dakota State didn't have a go-to guy in terms of somebody who could really carry a huge underdog for a big-time matchup. Because whenever you have these huge matchups, not always, but typically, there's one guy who kind of lifts the team on their back. And that's what you get if you're going to be lazy like me and basically only watch uh, the uh, first four game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you only have a small sample already, and then you're not going to put in the extra work. So... Yeah, I've looked into Central Florida plenty. Yeah, Venetia, he had, had a bunch of great games recently, a bunch of 20-point efforts, and uh, he had proven he could carry the team on his back, and that is exactly what he did in the first half against Duke. He started off with like 12, I think 13 of uh, the team's first 25 points. He was just everything for them. I mean, the energy, the leadership, really impressive, and a lot of, a lot of it was uh, off the... Off the bounce against Trey, against Goldwire. Really impressive. More than anything, just respect to that dude. And uh, hopefully he uh, keeps it going on into next year. And I'm looking forward to watching more of Vinny Shahid and the uh, North Dakota State Bison. Yeah, Coach K said the issue with Duke was they came out jacking, which I kind of found funny considering that's what they've done every game this season, basically, when they can't get the ball inside to Zion. So, let's see, and I tracked the first 10 plays, 10 possessions, each way on offense and defense, and I don't want to go too long on this, so uh, I will leave out the defense, but offense, I kind, you can kind of see. Um, a- after a while, when I was watching, and I'm not going to go deep into every possession, but just a little comment about each, 
Uh, all right, so possession one, I mean, that was just Zion immediately gets into the lane after the tip, scores against two defenders, banking it off the glass before anyone even realized the game started. So, I mean, right there, uh, the Zion effect takes effect. Uh, the second possession, Cam fires with a defender in his face with 24 on the shot clock. A very early shot, but you know what? That's what Duke does uh, typically. Just get Cam an early shot just to get him into a rhythm. So I would doubt K has a problem with that. I think that's exactly the same thing they did in the second half as well. So I wouldn't consider that. So the first two shots, they're okay. Uh, all right, so the third one, Zion... Obviously, he's amazing, but I'm not sure he should be going ISO immediately into a possession. And uh, he's still he can he's so versatile and he's getting better at ISO. But I'm still not sure he's someone you can just give the ball to on the perimeter and say go get a bucket. So 22 seconds or with 22 seconds left on the shot clock, uh, he gets the ball knocked loose, going up by Tyson Ward, turns it over. The next, yeah, Ward, he shades a little bit too far away from RJ, who launches and hits with 17 on the shot clock from deep. That's, I would say, your typical first half RJ. He, instead of attacking, he kind of, it's almost like an early heat check. Duke, the thing that I think is a, not worrisome, but has been, I guess, annoying, for lack of a better term, over the season is it's kind of like, uh, a football team, uh, uh, the saying used to be before everyone just passes all the time. It used to be like you'd run to set up the pass. So Duke, they should go inside to set up the outside or whatever possible outside they have, which isn't much. Duke starts out starts out typically jacking. And then they get their act together in the second half, especially RJ. RJ's first halves have uh, been a little bit... Uh, up and down this year, but the second half, so efficient. You can depend on his efficiency in the second half, and a lot of that has to do with attacking. Yeah, he made the three, but I would still say I would have liked to see him attack there. Uh, next possession, possession five. Zion shoots a right wing three with 21 seconds left in the shot clock, which is guarded and awful. Poor possession. We're already developing a theme here. Next possession. Zero ball screens, and yep, here I mentioned the theme. Again, Zion is on the perimeter in half court. That's the real issue. But he is fouled on a drive. Uh, it's on the floor. So off the blob, baseline out of bounds. The ball goes inside to Bolden, kicks out to Cam. And Bolden actually, um, he, he moves out to set a side screen for Reddish. And Cam is just in Cam mode at that point, though. He rises and fires, well-guarded. I'm not even sure he was aware of Bolden on his way to help create action. Yeah, I mean, that's just a, an awareness thing by Cam. And uh, again, Zion's on the perimeter. Possession 7. RJ to Cam in the corner. Gets blocked with 23 seconds left on the baseline driving for the dunk. That's the one I was talking about. I don't even understand how he was blocked. I do like him attacking. And I do like him not charging. <laughs> because typically, he charges <laughs> whenever he drives. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was going on with his control of the ball or where he was going up with it. But either way, all right. So possession eight. RJ Cam on the wing up top to uh, Trey, who shoots a three. But the thing is, I mean, you got to look at Shahid, who's guarding Trey. He's literally standing there watching him shoot a couple feet away without even caring enough to put his hands up or close out. 
<laughs> I was like, damn, that's disrespectful. But Trey bricks it. Uh, and there's 25 seconds left on the shot clock. So I guess, hey, seems a good plan. And side note, Zion's on the perimeter again. Early on, you're wondering, why isn't Duke getting any of these second chances? Why isn't Zion inside? I mean, I'm not sure what's going on with that. You can say Duke's making bad decisions, but Zion's got to get in there. I don't know if that was plan of the offense or what, but I think Zion's just got to go into alpha mode. He wants to be a star, and he deserves to be a star. Go just kind of really from the opening tip. I mean, that's what he did first. I mean, the first possession, he went right in, scored at the rim. So just kind of enforce your will right away. So, uh, all right, that was possession eight. Possession nine, Cam inbounds to Trey, fires ahead to RJ. And this is one of those times when it would be really, really nice for RJ to have developed a right-handed finish. So he kind of tries an awkward lefty finish to the right side of the rim and misses what should be a really high percentage shot. I think that's something that has gone unnoticed to uh, many, not all, but many on um, this season is how RJ, I mean, it's kind of incredible how he's able to score without really finishing with his right, although there was that one play at the end of Wake Forest, which is unbelievable. But, uh, I mean, he really needs to improve with his right, and uh, that's another, it's a credit to Kay for how he's designed the offense, uh, often allowing RJ to uh, go get be able to get downhill with the spacing from uh, from his uh, right to left. The last possession, possession 10, RJ and Cam cross under the uh, basket to flare out to opposite corners. The ball goes to RJ, who gets an open look from Bolden screening off Ward. I'll say glass is half full. Half full. Zion was finally near the rim trying for the rebound, even though it's missed. So those are the first 10 possessions. So again, the theme, Zion on the perimeter. I think that's what you have to notice right there, rather than just Duke chucking, because that's what Duke's going to do if the ball isn't in Zion's hands. That's what the stats show. That's what the eyes show. I think sometimes, I don't want to mention Twitter much on uh, the pod, but like, I think sometimes people think I'm like an analytics guy when, when I uh, talk about numbers. Then the, like I've always been just, I watch and I see and I analyze the game, but... I think it's nice to have those numbers there to kind of either have my back or or prove me wrong. I'm fine either way, but it's just, it's nice to have them there, and especially during games to kind of, there's always that sort of centering that the numbers will give me that, while I might see this, the numbers say this is happening, and hey, the numbers might not always show the full context, which is why both are important. I think too often, it's always either analytics guys just throwing out numbers, or even just like basically people who cover teams just like throwing out really surface level numbers. Like they have made blank of blank threes, and that's the whole game summary. Yeah, or there's others who just throw out random takes about what they're seeing. What they're seeing may not uh, have enough context for what's going on. So, again, middle ground. I like to involve both analytics and the eyes. More often, the eyes It's what I enjoy more. So I'm not an analytics guy, but I don't think it's smart to just kind of toss the numbers aside. All right, so with Duke down 12-5 to 5, with uh, 14.50 left, 
I mean, this is the thing. Zion makes the type of play that prevents that extra momentum for North Dakota State, which could lead to an upset. You have Samuelson leaking out, and Zion goes from a trot to an absolute sprint and makes up incredible distance to knock the ball loose um, going, on, going into the under-16 timeout with any more, without any more damage. And that's a play that might go unnoticed to a lot, but it's beyond huge in the grand scheme of things. Because this uh, single lim- elimination format, 18 to 22-year-old kids, they're going to get pretty damn stressed if all of a sudden they're down and it's not just a regular game. It's tough to go back to another game you played and say, oh, we've done it before. Before, you weren't, your season wasn't going to be over if you lost. I mean, there's always going to be that next game to learn. Now there's not. So I think just preventing that bit of extra momentum is huge. Again, at that point, Duke was down 12-5, 14-45 left, heading into the under-16 timeout, having missed six straight shots, four of them threes. The next time they missed more than two shots in a row, it was 9-16 left in the second half, up 22. Pretty impressive. And also, Duke didn't attempt another three-pointer uh, for more than 10 minutes of game action after they went into that break. So I'm guessing uh, Coach K laid the smack down a bit. After getting their act together with some high efficiency, they went on a 13-4 run. It seemed like momentum, energy was in Duke's favor. Yet, they went from being up 18-16 to 16 with 9 minutes left to being tied at 20 with 3.39 left. Over the span of 5 minutes and 21 seconds, North Dakota State outscored Duke 4-2. to two. That's insane. Okay, in that period of time, possession 1. Barrett drive, misses at the rim, Zion's on the perimeter. Possession 2, North Dakota stays in the zone. RJ screens for Zion to post on the block. Zion actually makes it easier to double when he turns along the baseline and forces against two defenders, so he's got to anticipate that. Possession 3, RJ drives the baseline and steps out of bounds. Zion's on the perimeter. Possession 4, great pick and roll opportunity with Trey and Bolden, who raises his hand for the alley-oop, but Trey throws the pass behind him out of bounds. Possession 5, Bolden high-low over the top to Zion for the bucket. Memories of Wendell Carter to Marvin Bagley. That was very cool. Uh, possession 6, Zion saves uh, North Dakota State air ball to Trey, who goes ahead to Cam in transition, and Cam barrels into the defender because Cam. Possession 7, Zion dribbles off his foot from the perimeter, uh, regathers, passes to Trey, who gets it to Cam on the baseline. And this is actually a really good move by Reddish to dribble in, stop and pop, but the shot rims out and uh, goes out of bounds. So that was uh, that was that period of time. At uh, early in the game, there's a three minutes, three minute and thirty seconds scoreless drought. There's another five minutes and thirty seconds period of uh, kind of ineptness where Duke scored, I think, two points. Duke scored uh, on a Zion dunk with uh, nine minutes left to get uh, to reach 18 points. They reached 22 on an R.J. Barrett jumper with 3:21 left. I mean, that's that's nuts. Duke scored 31 points in the first half, including at least in uh, different points in time, two points in nine minutes of first half action. You compare it to uh, the second half. Where Duke immediately came out, scored 34 points in the first nine minutes. So you got nine minutes of two points. 
then you have nine minutes of 34 points. It makes you wonder how a team so lethal can kind of be shut down like they were, but that's where the energy comes in. You also got to be honest about how much of it is Duke and how much of it is the other team. Because too often we just immediately think, oh, it's all Duke's fault. Instead of crediting the other team if they're doing a good job. Uh, I made sure Florida State, they were playing really well in the second half against Duke to come back when Duke was really, it seemed like they were about ready to put him away. So I made sure to say Florida State's doing a good job. It's not that Duke's just folding. But like a game like North Dakota State, while the Bison did play well, I mean, Duke's got to be accountable for like something as simple as Zion, get get in and really impose your will. That helps in the half-court offense. If you're going to be stuck in half-court offense, you've got to know what's going to help the team. And and the team's got to really get that message across to him. And K's got to get that message across to him. It's everyone being responsible for the good of the team. And just also the unforced errors early in the season... You didn't see that much, and that was really impressive from a young team, and it's not surprising that it started to pick up as the pressure-packed games start to come. So, lackadaisical mistakes or not getting back in transition or turning the ball over on a lazy pass, stepping out of bounds, stuff like that, you can't just give away possessions, especially if teams are going to force you into half court more. You can't help them. You can't almost force yourself. You want that energy to pick up? You got to be able to create it. And you're not if you're going to keep giving the ball away to the other team. Just basically on your own. Make them earn it. And the shot selection? That is no different. Smart shot selection. Smart passes. Communication. All that good stuff. I mean, again, these little and these plays that might go under the radar, like everyone's going to uh, see and, and love the Zion dunk and RJ jumping up and that picture that's been around all over the internet. But uh, seventeen fifty six left. Javin makes an incredible block. Then comes a loose ball. The team making a claim as a Cinderella typically grabs and converts in some way. Instead, Zion chases it down somehow. And gets it ahead of RJ and Rhythm to get out in transition. It, it, I mean, it's almost impossible to explain how he's able to do things like that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just watch that again. It's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. I mean, it's the little things that allow you to prevent the momentum from grabbing hold. Then the nerves start up. Then who knows what will happen. You're leaving things up to chance. Once the game gets close, who knows? And Duke didn't allow that to happen. They just rolled him immediately in the second half. Which is funny because the same thing kind of happened to uh, Virginia and uh, UNC. And uh, Virginia was actually the game right before Duke. So it made it even more interesting. Yeah, so Duke, I mean, that was actually their lowest offensive rebound rate of uh, of the season. I mean, you talk about packing it in. North Dakota State completely packed it in. And that's the thing. If you just look at it as a whole, yeah, the terrible offensive rebound rate. But I think they had something like a 47% offensive rebound rate in the second half. They only got one in the first half. I 
thought they I thought RJ got two on a possession. They only counted one, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the second half they were all over the place, and the I would say you look at the stats. The stats don't tell the story because there was no huge advantage in really many areas. In terms of your typical, where where are you going to look? You're going to look in second chance points. You're going to look at fast break points. Uh, where where did Duke really roll them? I think that's when you you got to see that uh, uh, first half points in the paint eighteen to sixteen. Second half points in the paint twenty four to two. That's the stat that shows that basically it's not just paint points in uh, in half court. They're getting out running and they're finishing at the rim. That's a huge thing because there's no big second chance second chance advantage. No big points off turnovers or fast break. The advantage Duke had and has is unwavering energy, urgency, and intensity. That's what they have. And that is tough to quantify in stats. There is no team I've seen that gets out and pressures you like Duke does, especially now that they've teamed up with, uh, what do I call it, uh, Trayvon Joldwire. Trade on, trade on, trade on, Joldwire. That's what that's what I that's what I combined the uh, Trey Jones and uh, and uh, Jordan Goldwire, because I mean they they really create havoc out there, and that's fun to see. I mean that's really that havoc Duke pressure of old, and uh, it wears you down. And even and it's just it's not just physically, it's mentally, to just you know if you let up your guard for a second, it's over. And we we've seen this. I mean it wasn't. I mean. We saw it in the early season, the non-conference season, when uh, Duke would be up maybe like 10 at the half versus some teams, and they'd win by like 30. Or they'd be, be up less and win by 30. I mean, I think BC, they were down by like one or two at the half, and they won by like 25. Uh, same thing, I mean, Clemson. Clemson was playing at uh, the Tigers' pace, and all of a sudden... Took their foot off the gas just for a second, or I believe there was a, I can't remember who, somebody got in foul trouble in that game, and it's just, I think it was Thomas, um, who, and it just changed everything. Like, you let up for one second, and Duke will just grab hold of the game. That's what a team like Duke can do, who is so athletic and so unrelenting. Even if the offense is inefficient, their defense is not going to let up especially on the three-pointers because, I mean, to pressure the way they do and be able to still recover, that's impressive. Obviously, they are going to be exposed to offensive rebounds, which we've seen over the course of the season, but it's it's a risk you just got to be willing to take. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the first round, first half was rocky. Second half, it's everything you were looking for. I mean, Duke... Their region is just, it's not fun, I'll say that, in terms of the teams they're facing. I mean, you look at North Dakota State, slow, and uh, kind of grinding. Even though not grinding, they, they, would, they were shooters. But just, they wanted to kind of control the pace, and they were able to. And I think we're going to see the same thing with uh, UCF, although they can play different styles. So, yeah, let's get into UCF. All right, so you have, first of all, not to jinx it, I don't even think I mentioned it on the bracket pod, 
Coach K. Mikeshevsky has made the uh, has been a one seed coaching Duke thirteen times. He's made the Sweet Sixteen every time. Never has failed to reach the Sweet Sixteen in thirteen times of being a one seed. This is four, this is his fourteenth time. So hopefully their tradition continues on. Um, I would be wary, or I I was uh, initially wary of everyone assuming that they would be facing Michigan State because it's interesting, of the 13 times they've been the one seed, they have only faced the two seed in the lead eight three times. I believe it was uh, 92, 98, and 2015. Because it's, it's not just the other team that has to get there. Obviously, Duke has to get there. And Duke has lost, I believe, five times in the Sweet 16, and once in the lead eight as the one seed. You never know. But Michigan State has already made the Sweet 16. Hopefully Duke will be moving on soon. And Duke has already, they've already actually, they've played um, some teams that have already made it. So let's, let's look. They have, um, they have played four teams that have made it so far. They have played FSU. 2-0, Kentucky 1-0, Auburn 1-0, Gonzaga 0-1. So Duke is 4-1 against those teams by the end of today's second round. Hey, there's a possibility as well of Virginia 2-0, Texas Tech 1-0, North Carolina 1-2. And if Duke makes it and Virginia Tech makes it, we might have ourselves a rematch with Tech who they're 0-1 against. So it's, it's a possibility that Duke... Have maybe play, maybe have played eight of the fifteen teams in the Sweet Sixteen with an eight and four record against those teams. So we'll see what happens. Um, UCF, obviously the big story. They are coached by Johnny Dawkins, who is just so vital, so important to everything about the program under Mike Krzyzewski. Everything about the Duke program as a player, as an assistant coach, as a recruiter. I mean, when he when he came in about 98, I think that was when recruiting started to really ramp up. And Dawkins was huge in being able to get those guys. I'm not big on recruiting. I've made my uh, opinions known. I don't like it. Um, so I don't really mention it at all. When, when uh, guys commit to Duke, then I start looking into it, but I stay away from that stuff. But I know how important he was to being able to get recruits, but more importantly to me, just him as a player, him as an assistant coach, and just the relationship he has with Coach K in terms of, I mean, he refers to him still as his mentor. So it's, it's a bit bittersweet. Obviously, it's a sport, trying to win. But at the same time, you could recognize that it's the reason that Coach K does everything possible to avoid playing his ex-assistants um, and uh, ex-players. If the players are coaching, like somebody like Bobby Hurley, who uh, didn't coach under uh, K, but obviously played under K. So this will be the third time, as far as I, uh, I look, I looked season by season until my eyes glazed over. There's a chance this might be wrong, but I believe it is right. It's the third time the K will face off in the NCAA tournament against one of his uh, former ex, one of his former players or coaches who are now a head coach of a team. The 
first was uh, Quinn Snyder in, in 2001, and then Mike Bray, actually, the next year in 2002. K won both of those matchups. So, not fun for him, but I am sure something that uh, the rest of us will probably enjoy more unless we maybe recognize in a way how painful it is for him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of the game. So, kind of, it is what it is. Another interesting layer to the game, Kevin White is Duke's athletic director. And his son, Danny, is the AD for UCF. So, Danny and Do and Johnny Dawkins, huge. they were just huge factors in turning around that program. Because I think they hadn't made the tournament since uh, 2005. And I believe that the first round victory was their first ever win in the NCAA tournament. So that's very cool. And I think they were even giving credit to the football team for kind of getting onto the national radar and getting them attention. And that's really helped the basketball program. So it's nice to see everything working together that way. And it's great to see Johnny Dawkins uh, just kind of having success running that program. And also Aubrey Dawkins, who I'll talk about, his son, uh, there's some sort of issue, I don't know the details, where he tried to play under Johnny at Stanford, wasn't able to, that didn't work out, but uh, so he went to Michigan, but transferred to UCF once uh, his father was hired there. So, UCF, when you look at the stats, it, it doesn't really tell the whole story, because you look at that slow pace, and then watch him against VCU, and they were pushing pace. They were get they were getting after it, and they were aggressive. And man, that's an impressive team. They do not have players who can just beat you off the dribble nonstop. But it's not like they just work the ball around all the time. So it was really interesting. I will say that Marcus Evans, VCU star, severely hampered by a bone bruise, suffered in the conference tournament in his knee. So he was pretty much unable to do anything. He was on the floor. I just kind of think he wanted to be on the floor and respect for him to just be able to get out there because uh, I think he's a senior and just wanted to kind of give it a last go. NCAA tournament last time. Yeah, I mean, give it everything you had. But uh, VCU wasn't quite the same team. They are, in a way, in, in some of the ways they play, kind of Duke light. They obviously don't have the athletes, and their advantages aren't as extreme as Duke, but still, they they do shoot way too many threes, um, just like Duke. Uh, you can say that UCF is going to pack it in, pack in their defense, just like uh, they did against VCU, because, hey, you want Duke shooting those threes. Because it's interesting, I mean, if you play the zone against Duke, then there is a chance when you play zone, you can give up offensive rebounds. And Duke's, the three aspects I always talk about, that Duke needs to have as many opportunities as possible, is offensive rebounds to uh, generate second chance, free throws, and just anything in transition. And I was talking about how Duke didn't really get many uh live ball turnovers against North Dakota State, so, but they were still able to run. And again, that's another thing that Zion just allows. That When Zion was out, that didn't happen. This is not just something made up. 
and Trey, it's back to kind of, as, as I always say, transition Trey, where he's just able to just rifle it ahead to guys leaking out. They can leak out because of Zion. They don't have to stay back and team rebound on every possession. They can leak out, cheat a little bit, and Trey's going to find them. Incredible accuracy, incredible vision, incredible anticipation. Trey's, he's a difference maker in transition. Of course, another story. But what he, what he does to impact the game positively in transition and in on defense, yeah, I mean, that's huge. And besides that, what he does just in terms of kind of vocally as a vocal leader because, I, hey, Duke didn't have those guys that were in big roles prior years. You can't look to someone and say, what did you do during the NCAA tournament during this time with your big role? I mean... Bolden played some minutes last year. Javin played some minutes, but they weren't big. And they weren't, I don't know, it's just tough, especially for guys who don't handle the ball a lot and aren't high usage to uh, become those vocal leaders. But, uh, hey, maybe next year. All right, Taco Fall. Taco Fall is the guy that everyone is talking about because he's, he's big. He's a big he's a big guy. And uh Duke they did play um uh was it Chris Kamaji, seven four for FSU. And it's interesting because the two matchups against FSU, I'm surprised the Seminoles didn't really use him more. He seemed pretty effective, especially when rolling to the basket. I mean, seven four, it's not like Otaku Falls seven six. He's a giant compared to uh Kamaji, and Kamaji, he was able to just dunk right over Javin a couple times. So I'm not really sure why he didn't get more minutes. But, yeah, I mean, at least Duke's seen someone that size, so they won't be thrown off. There's there's no shock factor like some teams might have. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it is interesting to see him play. We're surrounded by guys who are so much bigger than the average person. But they look like little ants, little ants compared to him. So I think he's one of the. They, I heard it mentioned he's one of the forty tallest humans in the world. He is. Uh, he's thirty. He's thirty-two for thirty-two on opening tips. So I don't know if there's odds on that. If there are, uh, tr- don't bet on Duke for for uh, or Bolden or Javin, whoever's going up against him. And there's no NBA three-second rule, so he kind of just hangs out at the rim, make, making it all the more tough. So, they are really, really good against the two-point shot. I mean, with him able to just hang out there, it affects everything. So, a lot of teams are forced to shoot threes because they're just, they're, it gets into their head. Anytime they, they get into the lane, they're thinking that Taco Falls there. And he's not a stick like some of the other really, really tall guys. He does have a little, he's, I think it was he like 310, something like that, he, uh, his weight. So he does have a little bit of bulk. Obviously, he's not big, big, but he can handle his own. Zion is another story. We'll see, because I would like them to really, really test him out. A lot of guys, they start dribbling in, then they kind of, stop and try to get crafty 
And that's not the way to do it. He's so long that he's going to block from anywhere. you got to get right into him. If you were going to test him, you can't do it halfway. you got to get all the way in and just really kind of get physical. Force him to just protect that rim. Not be able to use his length to extend out. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting matchup right there. But it's not just him, even though obviously he's a huge part. Um, it's not just him. He usually plays about, I would say, 25 to 30 minutes. And it's, it, I don't know how he's not, he's, he's only fouled out in one game this season. So pretty impressive for him to not get in foul trouble. But hey, if you guys aren't testing him, then there's really no worries. So uh, their record is 2-5 and five when there's a turnover rate higher than 22.2%. So if Duke can turn them over, really increase the pace, just like North Dakota State, I mean, that's the key more than anything else. Um, so uh, VCU, they were the second worst three-point shooting team in the tournament, like I mentioned. Take a wild guess who's the worst. And with the 13th ranked uh, two-point defense, they were jacking. But uh, they already, I mean, that was what they did. I think it was more just, it wasn't in the rhythm of how they usually run offense. And I think Marcus Evans had a lot to do with that. A portion of the game that changed everything was, let's see here, it was Colin Smith. Because Colin Smith, if you only watched UCF one time, you don't know how talented that dude is. He... He actually, I think he had a double-double versus Houston in a big upset. And he played seven first-half minutes. Then um, he was called for a weird technical foul. He didn't really do anything. But either way, he was kind of involved in some odd stuff. But I think it's just, I don't know, he kind of has, he's, he's really talented, really athletic, can make a huge impact on the game, but he's very up and down. And I feel like that's just kind of the way he is. So it could be a situation where he makes that huge impact. Or it could be a situation where he makes no impact. But he is 6'11". He could add a twin tower effect with Taco Fall. But he only played one minute in the second half. And there are some issues in the first half. So I don't, I don't know if it's uh, what's going on with his play or if it's his attitude or anything, and I'm not going to speculate on that. But obviously, Johnny Dawkins didn't feel comfortable putting him in. I think the biggest reason was because without uh, Marcus Evans being able to push, um, to lead VCU and push pace, I think that UCF actually was good enough being able to match up and really force VCU into their pace. And their pace can be even just as fast, if not faster. So that game, I would say uh, UCF missed the first 10, made the next 10, and 28 of 47, including 9 of 12 from deep after starting 0 of 2, and also went 8 of 10 from the free throw line after Taco missed the first. They did switch to zone at times to throw off any uh, potential VCU rhythm, I think that'll occur as well against Duke at times, but I don't know. I just think packing it in down low is enough.
because again, switching to zone, that can allow the offensive rebounds. And for a team as big as UCF, they do allow some offensive rebounds. They're not great. In the last 311 of the first half and 541 of the second half, they held VCU without a point. 19-0 run. And that was pretty much all she wrote. So, yeah, I, I mean, right there. And they were really getting out in transition again. And then at the end of the game, it was just about Taco Fall really making his presence felt. He had a double-double, five blocks, great game. And he's really improved over his four years. I would say, besides him, I mean, you got... Uh, let me uh, let me go down the list here. Let me let me find that list. You got B.J. Taylor. He's the leader of the team. He's the guy who's been at UCF. I think he's a fifth-year senior, and he stayed the course because there was some turmoil before Dawkins came. He is the one guy I would say will try to uh, go one-on-one -on -one a little more, and he's a, he's a pit bull. 6'2", he's really the leader of that team, and he can get hot. He's had, he's had some 20-point games. If there's going to be one guy to carry them, I would say it's going to be B.J. Taylor. really like his toughness. Aubrey Dawkins, as I mentioned before, I think he has really become more efficient this season. Great shooter. Always been a great shooter. Now he is more than just a shooter. Still think sometimes uh, he gets hot and cold. That affects other parts of his game, but mostly I think he uh, he stays the course, and I think uh, yeah, I mean I mean it's it's nice to see him be able to play with Johnny, and I think that uh, yeah he provides a ton for that team, especially as a senior. I think he's a senior, but anyway, all right. Taco Fall men mentioned him that he will be very noticeable. Colin Smith. Again, the, I think he's the X-Factor. He's definitely the X-Factor of the game. And, and another thing with Taco Fall, what will Duke do to guard him? I think that the physicality will... You won't need to really worry all that much unless everyone gets into foul trouble because that's a thing that is worth commenting on. The fact that Taco Fall... He has fouled a lot. There was a hack-a-taco hack thing going on because it uh, was a shoot like 35%, something like that. So UCF, they are among the leaders in the country in free throw rate, but that has a lot to do with hack-a-taco because he shoots so badly and he shoots so much. So it's something to consider. I mean, are they going to put Rankin to just kind of hack him? I would very much doubt that. I mean, Javin, hey, all you have to do is say, go get him. And I'm sure Javin will have a good old time hacking. But, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think that if you can get him into foul trouble, it's over. But that's going to, that's going to be tough. As I've said, he's been able to stay on the floor. And, uh, I don't know, you could front him someone behind him, but it's it's going to be tough to keep him away because, again, there's no three seconds in the NBA, so he will be hanging out there. I think Zion, <laughs> Zion's going to make his, his day interesting.
been that it's been a whole thing about Taco says he's not gonna let Zion dunk on him no way, and Zion didn't play into that, and that's pretty much the only story of that. I don't really care. Um, besides that, right, Terrell Allen, he is the point guard. He is a great defender. He is improved at spot up shooting. He's not a he's not a good shooter, but he can hit if you leave him wide open. I mean, as much as it hurts to say, I mean, Trey, he can't. So, I mean, that's something that he's got to improve over time. So, Trey, I mean, if he could, he's just being left wide open. Nobody's even worrying about him, and it does affect the half-court offense. And, uh, again, I think if you can create action for him, it could help him and everyone around him, but that's, it is what it is. Uh... Davon Griffin, or I'm sorry, Dayon, Dion, I'm probably not saying that right, D-A-Y-O-N, Griffin, really nice stroke. He, he can, it looks like every time he shoots, it's going in. The stats don't match up, but he's someone to worry about. So he's kind of a gunner, and I would say the same thing about Frank Burtz. Frank Burtz, he can, I, I, I really like him. He's kind of a, a Tayshaun Prince light. From what I see, really long, even if not really tall. I think he is uh, highly impactful. I would watch out for him, Frank Burtz. Chad Brown, he is the glue guy. Every team's got to have a glue guy. He is just going to do whatever they need, even if the stats aren't going to be huge. I really like Chad Brown. And he's 6'9", has some bulk on him, so can help out inside. May use up some fouls against Zion. So... Yeah, that's pretty much their main core. There's B.J. Taylor, Aubrey Dawkins, there's Taco Fall, Colin Smith, um, Terrell Allen. Um, is that a Y or a V? I don't know. Maybe, I, you know what, I think that is a V. Davon Griffin. Yeah, that would make much more sense than Dayon. All right, and uh, Chad Brown, Frank Burtz. They got some other guys that I have not seen, but so not going to comment on them. But, uh, yeah, again, I think B.J. Taylor is the leader. Taylor, Dawkins, and Fall. They're going to be taking the mass majority of the shots. That's what their offense is going to run through. Their defense, they really extend out. It's not just kind of waiting it out and forcing you to generate highly efficient shots. They will get out on you. So, I don't know if they're going to do that the same way against Duke. Because the more you extend out, that lead, that could leave some driving lanes open. And if you give up those driving lanes, that plays into Duke's advantage. So we'll see if that happens. VCU, the ball handlers, weren't quite as adept as some of Duke's. And that's uh, another thing where Duke, the stability, when, you, when they get the rebound and can outlet it to any of four guys... Trey, Cam, RJ, and Zion. It's, it allows them to run their offense not just quicker, but immediately quicker. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much it um, in terms of UCF. Let me think, is there anything else to possibly say? I mean, obviously I'm going Duke with, with this one. I think that Duke will be able to pull away second half. 
as before. I, I don't. I mean, you look at UCF shooting stats. It's just it doesn't match up. They're they're a they're a decent to to very good shooting team, but they are not a team that's going to hit nine of twelve from deep. That's just not who they are. They had an incredible game against VCU, who was a team playing without their best player. And again, UCF is a team that the game previous to that, I'm not going just on one game to represent everything. They got bombed in the uh, conference tournament by, I believe, um, Memphis. I think it was 77-55. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think Duke can handle them. It may be ugly at times. It probably will be ugly at times. And I'm sure Kay won't enjoy any bit of it because he is facing Johnny Dawkins. But hopefully it works out and Duke ends up in the Sweet 16. And I am doing a big Sweet 16 Elite 8 preview in the upcoming week. So yeah, I, th- I think that uh, pretty much sums it up. So, I mean, let's see, Jordan Goldwire, he also he, he made he made a nice impact with... Uh, Trey having two fouls in the first half. Goldwire came in. And he banged home a three. I think he was like one of 20 before that. So that was pretty cool. That was definitely pretty cool. I, th- I did get a question on Twitter. Um, well, I've already met, uh, answered a couple, but uh, one that I haven't really specifically. Why do, why do announcers say teams or why do people, whoever say teams should zone Duke? I mean... When a team doesn't shoot well from the perimeter, that is the most common way to defend. Especially a team as good from two-point range and as good penetrating and getting into the lanes as Duke, and especially with Zion in there. So if Duke is so good in one area and so bad in another, yeah, you're going to obviously play to your strengths and their weaknesses, especially considering UCF, their their strength is the two-point defense. I would still say pack it in, but Duke's been terrible <laughs> against the zone. I mean, there's really no way around that. The stats per the stats show Duke's been terrible against the zone. I mean, they're not good shooting against any team. But the zone especially. I was I will look up currently Duke against the zone. They are in the 31st percentile, which is awful. Completely awful. They uh, they shoot. They are in the 6th percentile in catch and shoot. That is awful. <laughs> they are... They're something like 345th in, in jump shots. It's just nothing about... Them is good against the zone, and with how much they shoot, with how much they jack, no matter what they're playing against in half court, yeah, absolutely. If they're going to do it anyway, make them do it more. If they were going to be patient and work the ball into uh, Zion or whoever, then hey, to change it up. But I don't see why that would be a bad option. I've said all year I would zone them more. Duke hasn't proven that they are good against the zone. I mean, they when, when you go back and look at their results against the zone. Let's see here. All right, you have Eastern Michigan. 
just god awful. Awful, awful, awful against the zone. And again, this isn't, if you look at the stats for the game, that isn't what it's about because Duke was able to just basically run in transition the whole time. If you look at their individual stats, which obviously some people don't have access to, which is why I post them all the time if you look on Twitter. And I will, when I'm going, if Duke does advance, I am going to do a big kind of team overview because I think that'll help for fans of even other teams who have their their own team still in, might be facing Duke, and they want to know more about it. So I'm just going to kind of go over everything. And I will mention some of those stats. But, yeah, I mean, Duke's been, Duke's been awful. I've, sh- I've showed it over the course of the season. And it's not able to be shown just an overall stat. I mean, still, they... they Got a, they've gotten a tiny bit better at times, but then just right back down. It's just that there's nothing to make you believe that they have successfully been able to handle the zone. So I definitely wouldn't stop running it if I was another team. Make, make, them, uh, make them beat you. Because Duke versus zone versus man, they're going to struggle at times versus either. They're going to, they have the players who can just, they're so good, they're going to be able to get theirs no matter what. But it's about just making Duke work as hard as possible because you're not going to be able to hold them down all the time. It's just make them earn in half court. Obviously more than transition. Prevent them from getting those offensive rebounds to get multiple opportunities. The stats... The offensive rebound sets, they are so reliant on offensive rebounds and second chances. So it's just whatever it takes to make Duke earn as much as possible on initial shot attempts in half court. And that is what UCF is going to be doing today. Hopefully Duke is able to take advantage of UCF in terms of just being able to run and being able to force UCF into turnovers. As I've said, that turnover percentage, 22.5, you can get it over. UCF isn't the same team. They are a great team, but they have not played against quality teams much this season. When they have, they haven't done well. So Duke is a step up. And, uh, yeah, I think the freshmen, they've got their legs under them now. Jack White will miss another game with a hamstring issue. Hopefully he will be back if when Duke advances. And uh, it is nice, very nice, to have Marquise Bolden back. So hopefully the whole gang will be back in tow for uh, another game this season beyond today. Until next time, subscribe, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. And, yeah, I'll be talking to you soon. I am Adam Comro. Hopefully... Next time we'll be talking is preparing for a sweet 16 in DC.